Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I am your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Yes, I am. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. Greetings. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. For now, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that means Lee is going to just jump off the call in the middle, or if he's currently on some kind of mobile truck recording platform and by mid-show he will no longer be in Oak Ridge. I'm just saying that with the way things are these days, Matt, who knows how long they're going to let us do the show. Oh. Oh, well, it sounds like we might have an emergency. An emergency? Emergency. Well, an emergency of an opportunity possibly of made-up panic, certainly. Gentlemen, it's come, it's come time for the Say That Podcast to talk about cancel culture. Whoa. Ooh. Oh, whoa. Controversial. Yeah. Now, I don't know what it is, and no one else seems to, but here's the right. thing I know is that whatever it is, under that umbrella fits in the idea that the people who own Dr. Seuss's publishing rights decided we don't want to publish these books anymore because they have some stuff that he himself was ashamed of because it's racist and we don't sell any copies. And they have made a boatload of money off that because (laughs) apparently there are some people out there who like, I don't know what this is and I don't, I don't even intend on listening to it or reading it, but if it got canceled, I'm buying it. So, so let me understand this. They said we were selling this, but now we don't want to sell it. Don't buy it. And they went and bought it. And I said, I believe in the free market so much that I want to have congressional hearings about these people deciding not to sell that thing they own. <laughs> but I believe that proffers us with an opportunity because oh. if it's good for business, the question is, can we get ourselves canceled? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It seems like that ought to be real easy. It feels us, like anyway. we can pull it off. But again, the problem being, I don't really even know what cancel culture is. So, do we have any, well, can we just get we, it done in one fell swoop? Oh, We've I been, can get us canceled, Paul. <laughs> I, can, I can do it right now. Are you, you ready really? to get canceled? I'm excited. Wow. Now i got to switch into my uh, proper uh, persona, so, so give me a second. Please. Wait for it. <clears throat> really explore the space. We're getting some. All right, y'all, I'm going to tell some truths to the people that tune into this here podcast, all right? Whoa. I'm going to tell you some things the media doesn't want y'all to know. All right. So oh, you boy. better. He used you air quotes when he said media. You guys can't see that part. That's right. Y'all better prepare yourselves because I'm about to drop some truth bombs. Here it goes. All these. <laughs> and that's how you know that moon landing was fake <laughs> and always has been. Ironically. Wow. He's not referring to the 1969 moon landing. He created one to say it was fake. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. The 1969 one was real. NASA heroes. They did great work. Well, Jed, that was very thorough and creative, and I think it would work, but I'm wondering if we can uh, do a softer version. I've oh, never okay. heard some of those words put in the same little bunch there before. That was really yeah. quite something. A little, and I, a little bit I, disturbing, actually. I, I went to public high school. I, <laughs> I played sports. I, that was that was like that was like a Olympic level uh, vocabulary there. I've been given a gift, gentlemen. I just try and use it well. Well, that's an that's an option. I will say, Matt. I don't know what cancel culture is, but we have been red flagged before. 
That's, That's true. true. Oh, we did yeah. have an entire university say they really didn't want us there. Yeah, the problem with that is we were red flagged by a conservative Christian school. Again, I don't understand cancel culture, but as I understand it, when that group of people tells you you can't say something, that's fine. <laughs> not again, not 100% sure how that works. But, you know, being red flagged, you know, that that, you know, we we were a little disappointed that that didn't really have a whole lot of, you know, oomph to it. It it turned out to be a bit of a, you know, wet noodle there. But getting canceled, that's like that's the big leagues right there, fellas, right? Well, you know, I think I might have a way we could try and make some money off this. So let me let me try and, and read back and see if I understand what we're dealing with, because I, I think I can I can you know work with that. So as I understand it, Matt, the estate of Dr. Seuss uh, basically looked at some of his old works that very few people are aware of anyway and said, we feel like these are probably not great, not positive, not affirming for the current era. And so we're just not going to publish them anymore because they're just they're not. They're not great. They're not good for people. They contain some bad messages. But we will, of course, continue to publish his his other much-beloved works. Do, do, Matt, do I have that about right? That is accurate. Okay. Here's what I'm saying, gentlemen. Y'all know I'm a foodie. And I like to think in terms of, of my gut. I like to go from the gut and fill mm. my gut. Very gut-centric. And here's what my gut tells me is the food service industry, first of all, is in shackles due to regulation. That's thing number one. Uh, okay. All these Washington bureaucrats tell them there's a point after which you can't serve or sell food. Like it starts to go bad and then you can't serve it to customers anymore. You just have to throw it away. Okay. That's like the jack booted thugs of the bureaucracy on that. Exactly right. They are canceling that food. Here's what I'm talking about. We open a restaurant chain, cancel kitchen. We mm. take rotten food that's yep, no right. longer fit for consumption, and we yep. sell it to patriots that are ready to chow down on the unvarnished truth and maybe get food poisoning along the way for wow. a modest surcharge because this is the wow. kind of unfiltered food that the media, with air quotes, doesn't want you to have. Gentlemen, canceled kitchen could make us millionaires. Wow. Well, that's wow. right. The deep state at the FDA says you can't serve chicken rare. <laughs> but here at Canceled Kitchen, we know better. You get to choose what temperature your food is cooked at, because that's what freedom is. <laughs> Pork tartar. This, I can taste the freedom in this. <laughs> also the tomain poisoning, but the freedom <laughs> is delicious. Now, these are all options. I, if, if I may offer another avenue here, what I would like to do is not work because, you know, try, I'm not trying to work too hard. So can we look at something we've already done? Like the, uh, you know, the, the, the Dr. Seuss estate was going to, you know, they, they decided to, we don't want to publish these books anymore. They're not selling, you know, we don't love what's in them. And then people kind of went bananas with declaring that cancel culture. They didn't say that was. So is there something we've already done? For example, there's about um, 10 or 12 of the first episodes of the show aren't on our uh, streaming service anymore because what? early on, I didn't know you could just buy more storage. So I thought we were going to have to have a one in one out uh, situation on the MP3s there. So I did it, but 
Also, maybe they don't want you to hear those episodes. And by they, I mean us, because those are bad episodes. But (laughs) I think cancel culture. Oh, yeah. We totally got canceled, bro. Man, I'm infuriated by the cancel culture. Is it is that how it works? Can you self cancel? Because that would that would just cut out the middleman right there. <laughs> Not only can you, we just did. Wow, that's awesome. We have an entrepreneurial spirit about canceling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of what's the what's the most minor kind of everyday thing that happens to someone. It's an inconvenience where we could just declare cancel culture. Like, if I went into a Wendy's and tried to order a Big Mac, and they were like, we don't do that here, could I be like, you're trying to cancel me for my beliefs? I think yeah. my kids feel that way when their teacher tells them they can't turn in an assignment late. <laughs> <laughs> you canceled my grade. Some of us had that experience. That's a very real and expensive cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah, like you go into a restaurant and you you start eating off other people's tables, you know, and, they, and all of a sudden they want to kick you out. <laughs> you just start yelling, I've been canceled. Yeah, I think, you know, well, we're seeing a lot of it with, best I can understand, we're trying to still turn our heads around cancel culture. It's when someone, maybe a white man, just does whatever they want to do and people are like, hey, that's distracting from hurts people. You can't just do that. And then... You get to yell, you're all trying to cancel me, and you get a book deal. Ooh. And not a good book, but a book deal. The kind of book they only sell in regional airports. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm starting to get a little bummed out because, you know, we've said a number of things that were definitely, definitely inappropriate on this podcast. And I can catalog each of them for you because there was an extensive meeting that I was made to attend. <laughs> it was just me and the wife, and we went over all the details of what was wrong with the situation, what was wrong with me, what was I thinking, these kinds of things. But it's like nobody even cares enough out there to like totally cancel us. Wow. Do you, do you feel like you were semi-canceled? Well, it's like, you know, it, it was like, you know, learn learn from your mistakes and do better. And I'm like, that's not even, yeah, that's not canceling me. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, it, it just didn't have the, the, the whole feeling of it. Yeah, because if you, you know, then you got to put in all this work, all this humility, you know, yeah. the learning what was wrong and stuff. If you just canceled me and then you got the book deal and then, and then we make the big bucks off of people's fury and rage. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I just want us to get canceled and then for the masses of people to be outraged. Yeah. And that equals money for us. That's right. I think the the other option and to build on what you're both saying there is to kind of Take something you're not good at and can't succeed at, really. And then once you realize that's happening, just do something outrageous so you can claim it was because you were canceled. Mm. Like, if you're a terrible actor and people are catching on to that and, like, you're dragging down a whole operation, instead of being like, oh, well, you know, I had a good run or maybe I could take a class or whatever, you could just, you know, write a blog post about how the moon isn't real. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then when your right. contract doesn't get re-upped, you'll be like, ah, it's cancel culture. I'm starting my own studio where I can make, I can make Apollo 13, but they don't hit anything because there's no moon. <laughs> yeah, it's like the open mic night uh, guy who, you know, is claiming that the record companies won't sign him because of his edgy lyrics about, you know, how his girlfriend broke up with them because she's a jerk or something. Yeah, you know, they just can't handle the truth of my my rhymes, man. Can't can't handle how real I keep it. That's that's right. Yeah, I so, think I think we got a lot of good options here, really. Anything before we close out? Well, I just I just want to make an appeal to the listeners, you know, if you care about us, think about canceling us. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's that's all we can ask. Now, these are all great ideas and a great strategy. Now, as we're... I mean, keep listening, but cancel us, you know. Yeah. As we're, we're recording here, I've done a little more research into the type of people who are the ones who buy your thing after you've been canceled. Mm. And I don't think we want to be canceled anymore. No, Based on what no. I'm seeing on Facebook, that oh, may not okay. be the audience we want to cultivate. So we came up with a lot of good ideas, but I think that's something we want to avoid. So I think we have an actual emergency off. <laughs> I think I think we we all learned a lot there, and uh, maybe we have more to learn on this subject. We'll look forward to that when we when we get there. But for now, we want to tell you about Bridgebox. You can sign up for that at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. There's an extensive editing process to make sure that nothing cancelable makes its way into your inbox. First of every month, but for only eight dollars a month, you can sign up, help us out, and get some good stuff for yourself. You can also check us out every Tuesday at seven thirty p.m. Central Time for The Bridge Live over on Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. We certainly hope you'll join us. We're having a lot of fun. And if you can't catch it live wherever you are in the world, you can always find it archived every single episode at the Videos tab over Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. If you want to check out the other videos in that tab, you'll find my slow descent into madness over the course of 2020 <laughs> and 2021. And isn't that fun for all of us? All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll use some ways you can touch this or you can scroll down in your episode descriptions and click the links there. Our first question comes in and says, I'm trying to get my life together and I need to know who I can trust to help instead of making things worse. But deciding I can't trust someone without really knowing them feels judgmental. Any thoughts? And a, a real, really good question. And I really like the, the balance we're looking at there. And Jed, where would we start off? It's a great question. First of all, we're really proud of you that you're trying to get your life together. Uh, we don't know the specifics of it for your situation, but that's a great thing. And uh, we've got your back. We believe in you. We're praying for you. And again, we're proud of you, man. That's, that's great stuff. And I think that this is a really, really insightful question on your part. Um, one of the things that's noteworthy to me, it, it hits me uh, pretty regularly, is just how many people in life and especially online are trying to give advice. Mm. I mean, oh my it's, it's kind Dang. of overwhelming. If you just kind of alternate between Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just basic social media, the sheer volume of people who are trying to give advice, it's not always clear to who or why, but man, there's so much advice giving going on. And so and obviously, much of it is massively contradictory, so uh, you couldn't take everyone's advice because there would be no way to do that. So trying to figure out 
how do I do that? How do I know whose advice I can trust um, is, is a great question. And I really love the question of, is this me being judgmental? Um, is me trying to turn kind of a critical eye to this? Is that me being unchristian where I'm, I'm judging on people? Let's start there for a second because that's really important. No. Um, it, turning a critical eye to other people's advice is being discerning. Um, discernment is about knowing right from wrong. Discernment is about judging situations as opposed to people. And not only is discernment a good thing, it's a godly thing. It's, mm-hmm. It is something that God wants you to have and wants you to exercise. With that said, then the question comes back to how do we know whose advice to take? Um, how do we know who is trustworthy in the advice that they're giving? And I want to give you a couple of tools that I think that you can use to answer that question for yourself. The, the, the big picture question to start with is before you take their advice, would you want their life? Hmm. And I want you to give yourself right. time to really think about that. If you look at somebody else's life, you go, oh, oh, no, oh, no, never. God, no then you really probably should not take their advice. Mm. Um, I mean, there's just no reason why you would. The The follow-up question then would be, would you want even a piece of their life? Like maybe you wouldn't want their marriage or you wouldn't want their job, but um, the, the way that they approach woodworking is just, man, I wish I could do woodworking the way that they do it. If you feel that way, that's fine. But we may want to know that their advice about things related to woodworking is stuff that we want to look at. And their advice about stuff outside of woodworking is really not. And it's important to give yourself permission to be choosy in that sense, because you're going to meet almost no one who has good advice to give you on everything. That's not really a realistic thing. Most people who have good advice to give have it to give on something one or two or a few things, but, but hardly anybody has advice to give on everything. But suppose that you find someone you're like, yeah, I, man, I, I want that kind of life. That's, that's what I want. Here's the next question that I want you to look at is, does that person understand their own success? They have some form of success and that's what you're looking at saying. I would like to have a life that is successful as theirs is. But do they understand their own success? I have found that a great many people who have enjoyed a great deal of success have very little understanding of how they came to be successful. Amen. To a surprising degree. And if you're not sure how to begin that evaluation, here's the the first thing that I would give you that that will be um, an important uh, dividing line is do they believe that they are, in essence, solely responsible for their success? Okay. Mm. And the reason that's an important dividing line is that in real actual life, there are almost no solo successes. Right. Almost right. all success that occurs is a part of a team or a group or a group effort or building on the labor of others. That's true in almost all fields of endeavor almost anything that a person can do. So if you have a person who's basically convinced that their success is because they specifically were amazing and that's pretty much it, then they actually don't understand their own success. And it's important for you to be clear on that because a person who has success, but doesn't understand it actually can't give you advice on how to get the kind of success that they have. You would do way better to find a person 
who has less success, but understands how they came to have it because they could guide you in how you could do the kinds of things they did and get where they are at. I think if you start by embracing that, that not everybody has good advice to give you and that it is a good and godly thing to recognize that, and then looking at, do they have the kind of life or even pieces of a life that you want? Do they understand their own success? You're going to be pointed uh, to begin with in a very good, positive direction to begin to navigate this in your own life. I think that's a wonderful place to start this off. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to pick, up there, pick us up there because I think one of the really good frameworks among many that Jed's giving us there is he mentions looking for a positive way to uh, think through all this because there are two different questions that are very similar, but really are very different framings. One is, how do I know who I can trust? And one is, what if I can never trust anyone? And I'm looking for the inevitable reason to distrust people. That's a tiny thing and totally understandable for people who are in the second one. We obviously deal with that a lot with the folks we work with at the bridge, but that kind of mindset can really be hurtful, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's a great point because, yeah, if you've been burned uh, by someone very close to you, uh, especially if that's a, a parent or a parental figure, uh, if you've experienced a trauma in that kind of area, or if, you, or if you just happen to be around some shady people that really let you down, you end up uh, with a mentality of uh, trusting people leads to suffering. So I don't want to do that, and I, I don't want to trust anybody. Uh, and it's an, as you say, it's an understandable viewpoint. Uh, and so we don't, we don't, uh, condemn somebody for having that viewpoint and we don't blame them for it. But the, the reality is you're not going to have healthy relationships without trust. That's, that's the foundation of what a good relationship is. Of course, they need to earn that trust. That's, that goes with that. But I think the question that we, the perhaps the key question we need to ask ourselves is, do you expect to be betrayed? Hmm. Is that a thing that you feel like is likely to happen to you? That, um, that betrayal is going to be sort of a semi inevitable, uh, uh, outcome of trying to have relationships with people. Uh, because over time that becomes we we think of that as an external thing of i can't trust anybody so i don't i'm not going to trust anybody i'm going to be an island i'm going to be strong but over time that becomes a thing of people betray me for some mysterious reason they think they can take advantage of me etc and such so we begin to internalize that and say uh people are inclined to to betray me specifically because of something inside of me what happens then is we end up, you know, obviously it's a negative way to see yourself, so that's not good. But beyond that, you begin to be suspicious. And suspicions don't really help relationships. That's, people don't like that. You know, if you, if you just every now and then, you know, give sort of a squinty-eyed look at people and say, well, what are you, what's going on with your situation? They, they they tire of that pretty quickly, and the worst part of that is you make your own suspicions come true. If you if you accuse somebody often enough of doing something bad, eventually they figure, well, I can do that bad thing and get away with it because you know I'm not doing it and I'm I'm already suffering for it. Uh, if you 
if you are always suspicious of people, eventually they go away and you say, well, you know, there you are, you're breaking my heart just mm -hmm. like I thought you would and uh, all of that. So we want to get away from that sense of I am bound to be betrayed and I need to be suspicious. Uh, that's not the same thing as being careful and cautious or making people earn your trust. Uh, it's trying to use uh, suspicions as a way of keeping yourself from getting hurt. And that's actually the way that that is the thing that's causing you to be hurt. Uh, so I think that maybe the biggest key I want to give you in terms of turning this to the positive is if you're dealing with somebody that that's let you down and they want back in to your life, they need to earn that trust back. So that's, that's essential. And that's Christian. We, the love is unconditional, the trust you've got to earn, but are those people who are coming back, are they being humble? You know, can you say to them, look, what you did was really hurtful to me, and I need you to understand that, and I need you to understand you, you've got bridges to rebuild because you burnt them down on your way out. I, I need you to understand that's what, what the, the relationship is. If the response to that is, hey, man, uh, you keep bringing this up and throwing it in my face, man, and I don't, you know, you're judging me and you're holding things and holding grudges and not being Christian. That right there is all you need to know to say, all right, dude, move on. If you're taking responsibility, if you're, if you're saying I did this, it was wrong. It was inappropriate. You should be suspicious of me based on that. I want to earn the right to move past those suspicions. Once I've, I've earned them, then, you know, uh, then it's a different dynamic. But until I do that, you you have every right to be suspicious and concerned and make me earn this thing uh, because I'm taking responsibility that I did the wrong thing. If if people are coming with that attitude, it puts them in one box. If they don't have 100% of that attitude, that's a, a warning right there. That's all excellent, excellent stuff. And Lee, we've heard a lot of great stuff from both these guys. What would you add to what's going on here? Um. One thing, um, and, and this has been implied with what both of these guys are saying, but I just wanted to pick up one little piece of something that Jeb was saying about people giving you advice and how you're rarely going to meet someone who can give you advice in every area, much more likely to meet someone who would give you, uh, be able to give you advice in certain areas. One thing, that's, one thing that's definitely true is the kinds of people who you want to listen to are people who would gladly tell you, I can't advise you in every area. Yep. Um, the, the, and, and the people that you definitely don't want to trust are the people who would be very glad for you to believe that they could give you advice in every single area of life. That's kind of a big red flag. Um, yeah. you know, Glenn was talking about that humility piece of someone earning back a place in your life. That's that humility piece needs to be present the whole time through. And not just when they're trying to earn back a place in your life, but from the very beginning, from the word jump. Um, that someone would say, man, um, I, let, let me be the first person to tell you that I can tell you about certain things. I can't tell you about all of this, and I'm going to need some help in figuring some of this out. Uh, we're going to be looking for that humility piece as we figure out who we can trust. And one thing that, um, I mean, you know, Glenn's exactly right. You don't want to get into a, into kind of a, a defeatist mindset of like, I can't trust anybody. I'm alone in the world. That is exactly right. At the same time, it is not judgmental for you to um, to insist that the people in your life earn a place of trust. That's not the same thing as right. judging someone's motives. That's not the same thing as 
as being a judgmental person. It's what Jeb was talking about with the idea of discernment. I will point this out just because I've seen a lot of it in um, in uh, in in kind of walking you know young people through relationship difficulties and relationship dramas for a, for a fair number of years at this point, being in a lot of these conversational spaces. One of the things that happens is that a lot of times in a relationship, um, there can be kind of an automatic hierarchy. Um, someone automatically knows I am somehow below this person in this relationship. And if they ask me a question, Hey, can you hang out on Friday night? I can't just say, no, I can't hang out on Friday night. I have to say, no, I can't hang out on Friday night because I have to do this and I have to do the other thing. I have to give like a good enough explanation. In other words, I've got to tell my whole story to let them know so that I can kind of prove that I, that I don't have the ability to hang out. A lot of times things like this come from a place of insecurity. They come from a place of just being in relationships where they don't have a lot of, uh, you know, just kind of unhealthy relationships where they don't have a lot of autonomy and a lot of respect. One thing that I always try to tell folks that, that, that I'm advising or folks that I'm trying to help is if you don't want to do something or go to something or be a part of something, you can just say, I'm not going to that. You don't have to give a whole lot more information about yourself uh, in order to prove that you don't have to go. Sometimes people ask for that because they're trying to get like, uh, well, why can't you go? Do you have a good enough reason? Do I believe your reason? Is, are you lying to me or something like that? These are kind of, these are things that I tend to find to be um, just kind of present in these, in these relationships that like, I, I'm looking at somebody, I'm trying to figure out if I can trust them. They want me to tell them everything about myself. You don't have to do that. It's very healthy and right for you to have a very small tribe of people who have the kind of the backstage pass into your life and, and some of the deeper parts of who you are. And then everybody else can get your yes and no. And you don't have to over-explain yourself. You don't have to explain yourself at all. And you do not have to, to give everybody the same kind of uh, you know, trust and leverage Exactly as Glenn was saying, love we give to everybody we're commanded to. Trust we are not commanded to give that to everybody. And some people have not earned it and do not get it. And we don't have to over-explain ourselves. Um, we, we are not being judgmental when we, to go back to a word Jed used earlier, when we discern that this person does not get the VIP backstage pass in my life, that I hand those out to a very small number of people. And that extends into things like, no, I'm not going to the movies tonight. Um, and I don't have to explain that to you. I don't have to give you more access into my story. Um, and that, even though it, that's a, that feels precarious because of insecurities or because of past relationships that may have been unhealthy, it's a great thing for you to start standing up for yourself, even in small little matters like that, and say, I don't have to, to, to divulge everything to everybody. I can hold my cards to my chest and I can decide who gets the backstage pass into my life. All great stuff from all these guys. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, what are we supposed to make of the whole cancel culture thing? That's right. Audience, you got foreshadowed. Whoa. Whoa. 
It feels like Chris, it feels Christian to say people should be forgiven, but the people in question are often powerful people who hurt others somehow. So it feels like they shouldn't just get away with no consequences. What is the Christian way to look at this? So as far as table setting and doing a little defining of our terms for cancel culture, we looked at the, the Dr. Seuss example and the emergency, which is a very one that's very uh, prominent in people's minds. There are some uh, very prominent ones of people uh, getting caught on a, a video game stream recently saying uh, a racist slur, as I heard it put uh, by a, a sports reporter. This is uh, an advanced level one. Like this is the sort of you have to go to the meeting to find out. So <laughs> that's kind of where we were. Um, people saying that people saying homophobic things, maybe tweaked it brought up. And there's an idea of people making their own decision of, do I want to support the, the movie that this person is in? Do I want to buy their book? Do I want to be part of that? And there's been a, a, a backlash to that. The idea that you are trying to ruin people's lives and cancel them and cast them into outer darkness. Cause you don't think they should have jobs like movie star or, I don't know, governor of New York, a person <laughs> right. who recently claimed he was being cancel cultured because of many uh, sexual uh, sexual harassment allegations. So I think it's a great question. This is a term that's gotten uh, pretty, pretty loose. And Glenn, I'm glad you yeah. can start starts off here because I think I really like what our, our question asker is asking because, and as you mentioned, actually kind of in the last question, the cancel stuff, a lot of it in certain uh, areas has a kind of built in dig at Christians of, well, what about the forgiveness and what about this, that, and the other, and trying to make it feel like making your own decisions in these ways is unchristian. So where do we start with that? Well, I, I, you know, first of all, I really like the premise of what you're, the way you're framing that, because it, it, it is true that the, the, the word cancel culture has been sort of kicked around so much. It sort of has lost its meaning. And so trying to define that and figure that out and whatever, just it might be more of a waste of time than anything. It might be more important to just figure out what's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can you can come up with a name for that. But the, the right thing is uh, to set healthy boundaries. That's we talk about that on the podcast all the time. Uh, if if somebody comes over to your house and says something that you don't want your kids to hear, you set a boundary. Uh, if you are watching a TV show and there's something on the TV show that you don't want your kids to hear, you set a boundary. Uh, that's uh, a choice that you make for yourself. That's a choice that you uh, use to keep yourself in a healthy uh, state of mind and to have the kind of life and the kind of environment that you want to have. That's a good thing. And that's a right thing. And it's a healthy thing to do. Uh, Trying to make that choice for other people is a little bit more complicated because, you know, that's uh, a a thing where you, you want to say, I, I, this isn't healthy for my family or for me, but uh, for heaven's sake, I don't think this is good for anybody at all. Uh, So I think, you know, it's important to look at, if I'm just setting a boundary, if I'm just defining what's okay and what's not okay for me, I think that's a very Christian thing to do. And that's not a, necessarily a condemnation of the person or whatever. It's just saying, I can't have any of this. And we do plenty of that in our ministry. We have you know people come to our services in a state of inebriation. Sometimes they have uh, mental health problems. And they get into some unacceptable behavior. And we draw extremely strict boundaries. And we're, you know, we don't apologize for that. 
But we all there's also love within that. There's also forgiveness and second chances and all those things. But it doesn't stop us at all from setting that boundary. Uh, so I I think let's let's start with that as a foundation. But then let's also look at this because part of this deals with racism and homophobia and those kinds of things. And ultimately, I think it's important for us to recognize that you can, you know, if we took all the racists and homophobes and xenophobic people and we put them all in a pneumatic tube and we just shot them into outer space and they all went away, well, we'd all, we'd all be happier, but the damage done would still be there. Mm. And I think that's worth taking a look at uh, that. We won't, that we aren't solving problems till we deal with the damage. And that's about moving onto the positive side of things. That's about healing and restoring. And I, for me, that's the culture I want us to find uh, to, to get there. You can't do that work of, of healing, whether it's socioeconomic healing or uh, uh, emotional healing or any area that, that things need to restoration and, and, uh, renewal and, and healing in, we can't get to that until we get to a point where we're learning. We have to have understanding in order to get to that place. And, uh, I think that's where, uh, that's where we often all fall short. It's easy to say this is awful and unacceptable. That's an easy thing to say, but what is much more difficult is how does that make someone feel that's part of the group that's being put down there and how often does that go on and how bad is this problem and um we need understanding of that both to hear from the people who are dealing with those those prejudices uh, but we also need to uh, understand within ourselves is is there an area within me where i have a prejudice that i'm not not fully admitting to that I need to look at and say, what do we need to learn here? How do we need to grow? What sort of understanding can we gain? That's a really, really good place to start that off. Lee, where do we take it from there? Yeah, this, this, the cancel culture thing, a lot of it, uh, I'm glad that, that Glenn brought up the boundaries thing as a foundation because a lot of this is jargon. You know, we, we attach words to things and, you know, and, and what's funny is that a lot of the, you know, quote unquote Christian people who are up in arms about things getting canceled are the same people that told people that told tons of folks to uh, smash their Keurigs and stop watching the NFL and, you know, and, and, and boycott Disney and the rest of it. Some of us remember the Dixie chicks and will never forgive certain parties for how they were treated. Yes. And so, yeah, th- this is the. This is the thing is like, it's a, it can be a jargon thing because, well, you, you told us to boycott. That's the same exact thing. Um, you know, I think that for me, I I also love that, that foundationally Glenn took this to a, to a place of individual decision uh, of individual boundary setting, because there are a whole lot of folks who speak for Christians who have a microphone in their face and an audience at their whim. And I would love for them to not have a microphone and speak for me. I would love for these people to not be the people that speak for us as Christians. Uh, You know, 
call it cancel culture, call it boycotting, call it whatever you want to, whatever the jargon is, I I would love for these people to not represent me. I think that a lot of people are feeling right now like I am tired of people in positions of power equivocating and making excuses for uh, the kind of stuff that oppresses us. There's a lot of folks that feel that way, and rightly so. So some of the stuff that people are saying, well, oh, that's just cancel culture. Well, what I'm, what, what I'm hearing when I lean in and hear people in an emotional space, they're saying there are things that are unacceptable. And, um, and rather than call it out, you're equivocating. You're making space for yeah. it. You're making space for our oppressors. And we don't, you know, like if we find out that a theologian we've always celebrated owned human beings, we don't need to read that theologian's books anymore. And we don't need to tell that theologian's stories anymore. There are other theologians. There are other books. There are other people that, that, we, can, that we can tell stories about or whatever. You can call it cancel culture. You, call it, you can call it boycotting. What I call it is um, there, if someone oppresses another person, um, yes, they can be forgiven by God and everything. They don't need a microphone. Their voice doesn't need to be amplified right. any longer. Um, and so um, whatever the jargon is, I think it's important for us to make sure that we listen to the hurt of oppressed people, of marginalized people, and that we say, I do not want to equivocate and I do not want to make space for someone who makes you feel oppressed, threatened, or harms your freedom or your dignity or your humanity. Um, I, and so whatever, whatever word we're calling it, I think it's important for us as we care about people the way Jesus did. And which, by the way, Jesus did not equivocate, and neither did Paul, and neither did John the Baptist. These people called folks out. <laughs> and they, you know, I mean, uh, there's, there, there are some strong places in the epistles, strong places in, in the gospels where uh, where boundaries were drawn and certain people, it's like, look, you can be forgiven, but we are not hanging out anymore. And you do not have a microphone any longer. And I, some of this is extre- extremely important. And, and as we walk with Jesus and as we seek to serve people, it's important that we listen to the voices of the oppressed and the marginalized. That's a great point. I love all that stuff that Lee gave us there. And Jed, I, w- I would love for you to pick us up there and look at another aspect of this, which I think Lee uh, pointed us down, which is uh, there is, in order to be canceled in any meaningful way that we might define that term, one has to be in a position of some authority. That could be actual political power, that could be being rich, that could be being on, on TV or having a large online following where you influence other people. And I feel like a lot of the discourse on the other side of cancel culture is a lot of Oh well, you just um, you just want to destroy this person. You want them to be destitute in the uh, in the street, as opposed to maybe people are just saying they have misused this platform they have been given, and we don't want them to have that. And those are two very different things, right? They really are. So let's start by talking about Christian leaders and Christian teachers for a second. Um, the first thing that we need to look at is the Bible is actually super clear. Uh, James three one comes to mind. The teachers will be held to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
In other words, part of what goes on when people are discussing the idea of, of canceling and cancel culture is, well, this this is unfair. Well, yeah, in a sense it is. Also, if you chose to become a teacher in the Christian faith, you, you signed up for that. You agreed right. with God, yourself, and other people that you would be held to a higher standard. So that is a part of, of the sacred text of people who who practice Christianity. And the issue here is actually credibility, um, which is not something that gets talked about nearly enough. And according to the Bible, it's super important. But for the sake of argument, let's let's explore this for a second. Credibility is a fancy way of saying you practice what you preach. That's mm. what credibility means. Now, here's the interesting thing is y'all, we can all grant as just a premise, as a thought experiment, that you could have a guy who's a 10-pack-a-day smoker who's going to tell you that smoking is unhealthy and you shouldn't do it. We can all track that. Yes, that would be possible. And that technically speaking, there's not a reason that you couldn't have that go on. I mean, there, there are doctors who smoke and who, you know, would tell all of their, their clients, you know, that smoking is bad and they shouldn't. So why do we have to make a big deal out of it? It's an interesting question. It's actually worth looking at. We have to make a big deal about it because the Bible is super clear throughout Old Testament and New Testament, both wisdom literature, Jesus, Paul, everywhere you look, that a person of God must practice what they preach. Right. It comes up again and again and again, the importance of credibility, the importance of reputation, both within the faith and outside of the faith the importance of consistency, the importance of a life that is above reproach. I don't like saying this because, to be honest, I don't want any of this to have to apply to me, but the Bible is actually clear that if you're going to be a leader in the Christian faith, you must practice what you preach. That is not optional, and that if you decide that you don't want to live a life where you practice what you preach, that's your prerogative, but you cannot be a Christian leader and do that at the same time. That's not anything to do with canceling or cancel culture or anything else. That's just the way that God has set up his church. And it's pretty darn clear in the Bible. It's pretty hard to get away from. So why would there be any confusion and any disagreement about that, particularly since so many of the people that hate cancel culture would tell you that they uh, ascribe to a literal and fundamental reading of the scriptures and that it is God's holy and sacred word, which is inviolate? How could there be a problem here? Well, weirdly, uh, we can talk about, to, to explain why there's such a problem, we can talk about water at restaurants. One of the things that economists study is that when you give something to people for free and then later charge them for it, it freaks them out. If you go to most restaurants in the U.S., water's free. If you go to a restaurant in Italy, they charge you for it. This bothers the crap out of American tourists. They hate going to a restaurant and being charged for water, even though that's just the way it's done elsewhere. Here's why I bring that up. If you grew up in the United States of America, particularly if you're older than about 30, you were raised with the idea that you can say anything you want at all times with no consequences. Uh You were raised with the idea that words are free. And now you're being told words aren't free, that words could cost you something. And that is incredibly upsetting to a lot of people. Something was free and now it's not. The world just got worse. I'm being stolen from. Mm. Here's what we need to look at. Words were never free. Come on you were now. never free of consequences with the words that you said. You were never free of backlash with the words that you said. You were never free of fallout with the words that you said. You were lied to. 
There yeah. were politicians who lied to you to get you to vote a certain way, and now you're discovering that you were lied to. Your anger is not with 25-year-olds who want a more just world. Your anger is with the people who lied to you in order to get voted into office. If you're angry about that, I don't blame you. Nobody likes being lied to, but you need to point your anger where it belongs, which is not with young people working for a more just world. Consequences come with everything. Words are not free, and they never have been. And if someone told you they were, they lied to you. Last thing, how do we navigate a world of cancellation? Here's the thing that I want to encourage you towards. If you're trying to figure out how to navigate that, Avoid both extremes. I'm going to give you two intentionally silly examples on purpose. If you have an entertainer, I'm going to pick at random Bob Dylan because I happen to like Bob Dylan. And your view is there's nothing that Bob Dylan could ever say or do or communicate or act out that would in any way change my opinion of him. I will always buy every record he makes. I will buy all of his swag, his T-shirts, his hats. I will go to all of his events. I will tell everyone that Bob Dylan is the greatest and my favorite, and I will never shut up about Bob Dylan no matter what. That's an unhealthy view, and you need to look at why you view Bob Dylan in that light Um, because you should not think of any human being that way. There is literally no one where your view should be no matter what, nothing could ever change my opinion of this person. And I want you to think for a second, if you have something or someone in your life where you feel that way, because that's not a healthy thing. Even the scriptures, Jed says, test the spirits. I mean, even the Bible says that about itself. This is exactly right. Now let's look at the opposite. If someone tells you that their buddy's cousin's sister's boyfriend's husband heard that in 1973, the manager of the Tucson, Arizona McDonald's cheated on his wife. Therefore, McDonald's is over and you can never eat at McDonald's. I appreciate the thought. That's not a functional way to live um, because the Bible says that we, we all have sins. We all mess up. So, and, and Paul actually points to this. If we're trying to avoid associating with people who are sinners, that would mean leaving the world um, because that's, that's actually not an option. What is in between is what you pointed out in your question, which is, Powerful people who have abused their power and need to no longer have the ability to abuse their power anymore. That's the thing that we need to focus on. There is a heart of justice in there. It's not always perfectly implemented, but recognizing that power is a privilege and not a right, and we need to hold people to account is a good thing and a biblical thing. Absolutely right. These guys all did an amazing job with a very, a very multifaceted and very, very Cool question. I'll, I'll add one thing to the end of this, which is you may have heard of a phrase in this, uh, mostly in literary criticism, called death of the author, um, which it means, you know, the author doesn't get to decide what this thing means any more than you do because it's a work that exists in the world. Okay, I say that, one, because my parents spent a lot of money on a college education that I've mostly squandered to this point, so that felt like a, an opportunity <laughs> to get some of that uh, back in the world. The other thing is, let's say you have... A, a a series of books you read when you were a child, and the person who wrote those books came out to be a horrifying transphobe in the last couple of years. <laughs> Let's throw that out there as mm. an example. You can still like the books and think that's bad because yeah. the books are their own thing. Yep. You don't have to go to bat for that person. You don't have to feel, you don't have to ascribe the feeling that that book gave you to this person because that's not how that works. The book, you read a story, you heard a song, you watched a movie, and you liked it. That's totally cool. Cancel culture, canceling the, the author of that, 
takes nothing away from that because the work exists. But people who have a more nefarious purpose will try to take an affinity for something like that and spin it up into creating this structure, as we've talked about, where what they're really getting at is that powerful people should never be held to account by a mass audience. Um, That's why no one who is going and trying to, you know, get YouTube clicks about the Dr. Seuss canceling is talking about the six books you have never heard of that are getting canceled. They're saying they're out there trying to cancel the cat in the hat. You love the cat in the hat. You, you know, your granddad read you the cat in the hat. That's what they're trying to take away. And it's not. It's people saying, we don't want to put this in the world or I don't want to consume that. There's this idea that Jed and all these guys want to see that what we want to get to is everyone agreeing on everything, which when someone's in power with a power imbalance means I'm trying to forge a world in which everyone has to agree with me about all things. That's very nefarious. And it's not true. So you can take that that little snippet and add it to the kind of the emotional landscape of all the really, really good spiritual stuff these guys gave you. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I feel like the last year has really messed with my idea of joy. It feels weird to celebrate good things when so many people are hurting. And it feels like every good thing has come with a disclaimer of pretty good for 2020 or 2021. Mm. How do I do a reset thinking about joy? And another great question, Lee, where would we kick off with this? A fantastic question. This is a, this is a question that, I, you know, it's one of these things, this is one of those moments where I, I hope that our audience is way bigger than I think it is, because this was a fantastic question. Good on you. Um, clearly, the Bible tells us we are supposed to mourn with those who mourn, and it's right for us to think about and pray for and to and to to hurt for people who are who are hurting and mourning all over the world it's right for us to to figure out what can i do to work toward um aid for people who are hurting or for justice or fairness of those who are being oppressed here's but here's the thing that that um i i sense that you know this but i'm going to go ahead and say it just in case there, just in case there's any confusion about it the human mind and heart does not have the capacity to hold and hurt for all of the world's pain. Like if, if my newsfeed is filled with natural disasters and um, gross injustice, and, and that is multiplied across, you know, 15 different cities, a couple of continents, uh, thousands of people who are all hurting all at the same time. There's at a certain point, it doesn't make me a monster, but at a certain point, I have to desensitize myself even to the the influx of the news because I can't be sad for all of it. Like, and and that that feels weird to say because it's like, well, does that mean I'm a monster that I'm not sad that this earthquake happened and these people lost their homes and you know where I know that if it was my home or if it was you know if if my friend Matt lost his home, it's like that that would be devastating to me at a different level. Um, you know, it's Matt lives in a condo building. That would be devastating to a lot of people. A lot of people. It would <laughs> be devastating to a lot of people. But, it, you know, the, the part that would hit me is that, that my friends Matt and Jenna lost their home. It, so does it make me a monster that I get to a place with all of the hurt in the world where I find out somebody lost their home and it doesn't affect me? That doesn't make you a monster. 
it simply means that the human mind and heart cannot handle all of the world's hurt, which in a way is one of those things that, that gives me a reason to, to be in awe of the Lord because he is close to the brokenhearted. This is what the scripture tells us. He is in all of that. He feels all of it. He's angry about oppression. He is sad about hurt and loss. I mean, he, his emotional capacity is infinite. Mine is not. Um, I say all of that to tell you this. It is perfectly possible for you to be a tender-hearted, caring person who your heart breaks for your friend who lost someone close to them because of the coronavirus, and at the same time, you experience a really fun evening of having a great meal and watching a movie in your living room with your friends or your family. All of those things can happen to you at the same time, in the same day, in the same space. Um, that, like, I can, like, I, for me right now, just to be perfectly honest and vulnerable, I have, I have relationships in my extended family that are crap right now because of the political landscape of our world. They're crap. And that breaks my heart. And at the very same time, in the same mind and heart, one of my very best friends has just landed his absolute dream job that he's prayed for for five years. And I am heartbroken about the, the crappy relationships in the family, and I am so stoked for my buddy who got his dream job. I can hold both of those things at the same time. It doesn't make me a monster. I love the way that in your question you said, I want to reset the way that I think about joy. Let me suggest this as, as a way to think about that. Feel free to live the moment that you are in. If you have, if something comes into your space, your mental awareness that is sad, you should feel free to be sad and to talk to the Lord about that sadness. And, and if it leads you in that moment of prayer and honesty to a thing where you ask the Lord, is there anything I can do about this? Can I write that person a letter or can I send them a care package? Um, I have a friend who lost a relative. Can I send them an LP or a, a cool pair of socks or a coffee mug? And that may be something that seems trite to you, and it may change their entire week. The, I feel sad. Is there anything I can do to help this moment? And then if you experience something that's fun and sweet, uh, you play a board game over a Zoom call with a friend in a different city, or you play a video game with a friend, or you have a cup of coffee with somebody, and it's fun and sweet, to live in that moment as well, and to thank God for the joy of that moment. I think that would be a really cool way to reset your thought about joy. Um, your, your kind of, what does it mean to experience joy? It means to receive the moment that the Lord's giving you. If the Lord is opening your eyes to some hurt and some pain, and He wants to engage with you in a conversation about that, and maybe even see how you might be able to help and serve somebody, then live that moment. If the Lord is giving you a moment of pure joy and, and fun and friendship or fullness, receive that from him as a gift and, and live the fullness of that. I think that's what he would want you to do. He has the only mind and heart who can bear all of the pain of the world at the same time and all of the joy. He wants to give you both um, the ability to mourn with others and the ability to feel joy. 
but you can't carry all of the, the, the hurt of the world. So I would start there. Live the moment that you're in and, and find out in the moments of sadness or in the moments of depth or hurt, what can I do to make the world a better place? And if the Lord gives me joy, I'm going to enjoy it. It's a wonderful place to start it off. And Jed, I'd love you to, to carry on there for us because I really like the way our question asker framed this. And I think we can all relate to the, uh, the kind of feeling of there's a whole lot of hard stuff going around. And the thing that brings me a little bit of joy uh, may pale in comparison to all the bad. And that's probably true that maybe a, a goofy thing that gives you joy, but that might be a pretty good lesson about how joy actually works. I couldn't agree more. I'm going to tell you about my joy of the week. Um, I went to the the Target, the grocery section, and I discovered that they make an almond milk version of Ready Whip, of like the spray can of whipped cream. Right on. And um, A, it is awesome. B, I am in the process of putting it on everything um, just to see what happens. You know, I mean, uh, did I take like a, you know, like a healthy-ish Greek yogurt? and top it with a mountain of um, almond milk whipped cream. Yes. Yes, I did. And I did it, A, because it was amazing and it needed to be done. B, I did it for science, okay? It's for the future. <laughs> All right? Research and development. Because I care about the future, y'all. I believe children are the future, and, you know, it's for the children. But I principally did it because it just brings me joy. I just, I, just, I, I just love whipped cream, dude. And here's the thing about that is it's totally silly. In fact, it's kind of nonsensical. I would describe it as arbitrary, but all joy is that from a certain perspective. I think one of the things that hamstrings a lot of us is a belief that my joy should only come from things that are profound, like Mm. a perfect sunset that reveals the majesty and grandeur of creation or, you know, staring at the Mona Lisa. These are proper avenues of joy. Nope. No, whip, whipped cream is, is a source of joy. That's, that's great. Um, you know, lying on your couch doing nothing, that's a great source of joy. Uh, watching funny stuff on TikTok, that's, that's a great source of joy. I think the issue that a lot of us run into is simply giving yourself permission to experience it. Yes, it is true that if you were to take like a cosmic scale and measure all the suffering, even just in the town that you live in on one hand and the funny dog video on TikTok on the other side of the scale. Yes, it is true that the suffering would outweigh that, but that's not how joy works. And you don't, you don't have to do that. You can just experience it anyway. And I really want to give you permission in this moment to want the things that you want. Amen. If you've grown up in and around church, you've been told that everything you want is wrong. (laughs) And I'm sorry that people have put that on you because that is weird. I mean, like really just, just weird. It's not biblical. It's not Christianity. It's not sane. Um, it's, it's just a terrible idea. Um, what you want is not bad. Uh, yeah, anything you can take it to an extreme, you can take it to an unhealthy place, but you're allowed to want the things that you want. And a big part of experiencing joy and growing and experiencing joy is to give yourself permission to simply want the things you want and to delight in the things that you delight in to say, yes, the whipped cream thing is silly, but it brings me joy. And I think it's great. Um, it's very difficult to navigate 
and find things that will bring you joy if you are judging and second-guessing yourself the entire time. You, you really can't do that. N- no one can do that. Like, if, if someone told you, we want you to paint us a pretty picture, you know, Bob Ross style, a nice lake with some trees, now, I'm going to be standing over your shoulder berating you the entire time and telling you that your trees are terrible and your brush strokes are embarrassing. I think you would find it very difficult to paint an inspiring picture under those conditions. (laughs) But most of us actually do that to ourselves when it comes to navigating joy. We say, I feel like this kind of, you know, pings a sense of delight in my heart, but it's a stupid thing that doesn't matter. And it's probably wrong. And I'm probably wrong to want it anyway. (laughs) That's yeah. You can, you can kind of figure how that would make it difficult to get a good sense of what is and isn't working for you. In the spirit of canceling things, let's cancel all of that. Let's cancel the shame. Let's cancel the guilt. Let's cancel yeah. the self-condemnation. Give yourself permission to want what you want and like what you like and explore it. Share it with the Lord. Talk to God about it in your prayer life, just like Lee was talking to you about. Find the things. It doesn't matter if other people dig or not. Find the things that just bring you a sense of delight and then lean into them. Cultivate them. Most things have more depth than you would expect. But you have to give yourself permission to dive on in, maybe to wade in at first and then to dive in in order to figure out where it all goes and what it all means. We've got your back. Give yourself permission to find the things that you like and lean into them. That is an excellent answer. And it's also leaving me with the vision of did you guys ever see that movie Whiplash where J. Jonah Jameson like yells at the kid to make him a better drummer? Oh, yeah, I saw the preview on that. Oh, well, the the, uh, the takeaway is if you're an abusive prick, you make people better musicians. So I don't know that we needed that movie in the world. <laughs> but I do like the idea where it's the exact same amount of aggression and a jacked bald dude just screaming at someone. But at the end, what's created is like a kind of a nice landscape picture. Yeah. And, you know, I'd watch that. Uh, and also all great stuff. Um, a lot of good stuff on this topic, Glenn. And I... I love this idea of reset the thinking about joy because it's been a tough year for joy in, in all sense. So where do we go with that idea of rethinking that? Well, I love all the stuff that these uh, fellows have told you. They've, they've given you a a great uh, new perspective. I hope on the subject of, of joy. Uh, Joy is a virtue. This is joy comes from God. Uh, Happiness is an emotion. And if you can dig it, I think maybe the best place for us to start uh, rethinking the concept of joy would be to say that I don't think joy and happiness are all that similar, exactly. Uh, When I have joy, often happiness is sort of a byproduct of that. It's one of the outgrowths of joy. But joy itself is so much more deeper than the surface emotion of happiness. And uh, that not only do I often have joy in the midst of bad and negative circumstances, that's kind of generally how joy works. The joy transcends circumstances. It's meant to do that. Joy is transcendent. Uh, the idea that it would shockingly transcend an occasional negative thing doesn't fit for me because it it transcends everything all the time. To the extent that you have joy, you are 
seeing beyond the immediate circumstances that are that you're going through. Uh, so that's the thing about virtues, because uh, virtues are elements of God's character that He gives to us, and uh, we are able to live in those things to the extent that we receive them from him. Uh, So if that's love, if that's grace, if that's kindness and gentleness and self-control, all those things, these are uh, elements of God's character that he gives us. We don't generate these things within ourselves and they're not tied to our circumstances. They don't, the circumstances don't give us permission to feel those things and experience those things. Uh, The circumstances don't drive uh, that happening inside of us. Uh, they always happen beyond and outside of those circumstances. So let's take the the virtue of joy and just kind of set that aside. And let's look at the fact that all virtues fit together. Uh, these aren't separate ideas that push and pull against each other. They're all part of one whole spiritual existence. So if I take the concept of joy, and I put on one side of it the virtue of peace, and I put on the other side of that the virtue of hope. So I've, I've, if I have peace, joy, and hope, those things all fit together. So if you imagine a, a situation that's negative and where people are mourning, where they are really struggling, where they're feeling depressed, where they're just feeling uh like they're ready for everything to be over, they may be worried about the future, any of those things, they need peace for sure, and they need hope for darn sure. But to me, joy fits in with hope and peace. That they're they're they they they're like the interface is perfectly made for them to fit together. Uh because joy has that way of taking us out of our immediate circumstances and seeing beyond. Uh, seeing what to what comes next that that involves a certain amount of hope uh, and I have to have a certain amount of peace in order to get to the place where I receive that hope and once I have that hope, I begin to see uh, where things will be better later on, and then of course, I can receive that joy uh, to me, you know having done a, a certain significant amount of counseling with people who are going through you know uh you know, they've lost a loved one, those kinds of things, doing funerals and those kinds of things. To me, I actually want to have a certain place inside of me where I'm tapping into the joy that's happening, that's transcending that, that that there is a, a river of love and peace and joy and hope that runs underneath all these things that that our immediate circumstances don't tell the whole story, that we we have to live in the real world and we have to process our emotions about it for sure. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the whole picture. Uh, and we have to get to that place where we're descend, uh, transcending those uh, circumstances through these virtues in order to actually understand what's going on and, and begin to live a more victorious life rather than being brought down by the mere circumstances. That is all great stuff from all of these guys. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com. You can write into the bridge, Chicago.tumble.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, don't forget missionusa.com slash bridge box and facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. If you want to join us every Tuesday at seven 30 for the bridge live Ooh. or catch that whenever Ooh. 
you can't tell a song this week. This is an older tune, but I think it's a real fun one from our friends Thomas and Caleb, collectively known as the Yearwoods. Well, they were for the two songs they recorded for us. Maybe they still are. Who knows? <laughs> These are the mysteries of the music industry. This is a great tune by them called Though the Mountains. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we're living through the tragedy of widespread acceptance and love and never even coming close to being canceled. <laughs> Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my love is unfailing for you. When your city is afflicted, when you are lashed by storms, I will build you up where you are torn. Oh, my love will not be shaken. My compassion never cease. My covenant for you is peace. Don't be afraid. Don't fear disgrace. You will not suffer shame. Your maker is your husband with compassion in his face. The Lord his name Though the mountains be shaken be removed yet my love is unfailing for you when your city is afflicted when you are lashed by storms I will build you up where you are torn oh my love will not be shaken my compassion never cease my covenant for you Don't fear disgrace You will not suffer shame Your maker is your husband With compassion in his face The Lord Almighty is his name Don't be afraid Don't fear disgrace Thank you.